Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. Mark 5, starting in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Mark 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were there all alone. There he transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Mark 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. This is God's word for us today. It is a great, great day. Happy 34th anniversary, LaCroix Church. Today is the day. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's a rare time when the actual day, we had our first service on October 2nd, that that first Sunday is October 2nd, and this year it is. And uh, I remember that day like yesterday, but a lot has changed in 34 years. Oh my goodness, Ronald Reagan was still in the White House. Uh, there was no internet, no cell phones. Can you, I know some of you young can't hardly believe that. Uh, gas was 90 cents a gallon. Uh, a lot has, I had a lot more hair back then. I had some over my lip, you know. I mean, a lot has changed in 34 years. But one thing has not, and that's our mission 
to make disciples of Jesus. And a few years in, we began wording it like this, that our mission is leading people to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. Uh, Would you say that with me? And if you're worshiping online, wherever you're at, say that with me. Leading people to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. Now, the, the rest of you to jump in, let's say it again. Leading people to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. I love it. That's what we're about. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. And um, as Brett said, you know, we do the survey because it's hard to measure that because if you will wholeheartedly follow Jesus, what the writers of the New Testament tell us is we will increasingly become like him. The goal of the Christian life is to be like our master, to be like our Lord, to become like him. So how do you measure that along the way? And how do you, how do, you do this task? You know, uh, the last instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples when he was with them on that Mount of Ascension was go and make disciples. He told them how, but in that moment, he didn't give them a strategy. So how do you know if you're doing it? How do you know if if you're fulfilling the mission? I think this is a a quandary for anybody in every companies, not-for-profits all have a mission statement. How do they know if they're doing it? Sometimes companies, it's easy. Oh, you sell so many you know, widgets and there you go. But when you're changing people's lives, it's a little harder. The US Army has come up with a strategy for their mission. They're called on to win a war and they take the soldiers and they organize them in various groups. And there's different units within the army. If you served, you are familiar with these units. There's a brigade, that's 5,000 soldiers. A battalion is 1,000 soldiers, a company is 200, a platoon 36, a squad is 10, and a team is four. The very basic, the smallest unit that the U.S. Army has in their mission to win a war is a team of four soldiers because they know that when going gets tough and there's a firefighter, there's danger, those four are gonna watch each other's backs. They're gonna fight hard for each other. The United States Marines has similar arrangements and groupings of of soldiers. And the last two, a squad is nine, and what they call a fire team is three. It's fascinating. Uh, When you study the sociology of this, you'll discover that that in all kinds of walks of life, in all kinds of areas, there there are these two smallest groups of people that organize for a particular task are around four and around 10 or 12. And um, uh, we're, today we're wrapping up this series that we've called Something's Missing. It's been about relationships. We're doing that, but also talking about our mission. It's kind of two in one. Um, and about, oh, a dozen years ago, we, in the church around America, this was kind of like, you know when the Holy Spirit is working when the same message, the same sort of concerns start bubbling up all over in different places? And about a dozen years ago, the, the Amer- many folks following in the American church said, we, we got a problem. We're not seeing people become wholehearted followers of Jesus in large numbers. We're not seeing that ever-increasing growth towards Christ's likeness like we would want to. A lot of people seem to be getting stuck along the way. And so a lot of effort and thought was, well, what, what should we be doing differently? And how should we be organized and structured? And so we went through that journey ourselves. And uh, one of the things we've had from the beginning, just four months after we started the church, we started our very first uh, 
small groups, a men's group and a, small, and a, and a women's group. And uh, small groups have about 12. Well, interestingly, what, what did Jesus, when he gathered his disciples, what did he do? He gathered about 12. Um, but then there's this other group that doesn't get as much attention and we miss it. And yet, whenever we look down through the history of the church, we see that this exists. And that's that group of four. Jesus had the 12, so Baker's dozen with him, right, it's 13. But then he had an inner circle. Peter, James, and John. That was his band. Nothing to do with music. Think band of brothers. And this seems to have been part of the strategy of Jesus. Some would say Jesus left no discernible strategy. I, I, would, I would differ. I believe he did. In, in Mark chapter uh, three, we're told about Jesus picking the 12. And it says here, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So notice, what's the first calling of a disciple? To be with Jesus. Yeah. Be with Jesus. But not solo, one-on-one, with others. See, disciples need to be with Jesus because that's who we're trying to be like together. And so he calls them, and, and his task, he says, your task is to hang with me. And you're going to do this with others. Um, and so that something missing was, that, that, that something missing was this smaller group. We got the small group, and that seemed to be doing what it was supposed to do, a dozen or so. But we were missing this small group, the inner circle. Again, that the U.S. Army thinks is absolutely essential to fulfilling their mission, if we're gonna win the world, we gotta rediscover this. And you know, it was right there before us in the Gospels. We missed it. My son, Anthony, helped me see this several years ago. It is one of the, the, the most fulfilling things in my life is how my son is now teaching me things. I love that. And um, it was right there. Jesus and Peter, James, and John. Some of the most intimate, um, incredible moments in the ministry of Jesus was just with him and those three. And lo and behold, John Wesley and the early Methodists in England in the 1700s, they were disciple-making powerhouses. They knew discipleship. They had class meetings. Class meetings were 10 to 20 people, mixed men and women. And, and class meetings where you came and you talked about the state of your soul. You didn't do studies. You didn't do curriculum. You talked about your soul and you confessed your sins. It's high commitment, high level. In fact, so high commitment that if you missed two meetings in a row, you were out. Uh, to, to be a Methodist, you had to be in a class meeting. And then he had these other things called bands. There were about four people. And that's where um, walking with Jesus got real serious. And, and, and so something's missing. That's what we've discovered. And so today what I want to do, I want to look kind of as an overview at the Gospel of Mark and see how Jesus interacted with the inner circle and how important this was in the life and the, the ministry of Jesus. The first moment that we see these uh, four together occurs in Mark chapter five. And it's this uh, glorious moment of healing of a little girl, 12 years old, who died. So the story begins with Jairus, a synagogue official, comes and seeks out Jesus and says, my daughter is very sick, would you come? And he says, yes. So he goes, and in the way, on the way, he gets interrupted 
uh, and heals a woman who had a serious medical condition for many years. And I love the fact that Jesus was always interruptible. And that's, that's where I've tried to become more like Christ because I don't like getting interrupted. But Jesus was very interruptible. So that takes place. And then he gets back, heading um, uh, towards this house. And it says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Why bother te- the teacher anymore? Notice what Jesus says. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just believe. So they're heading towards this house. And the world has come that the girls died. And any parent, your heart would sink at that word. Verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So they get to the house of the synagogue leader and there's a lot of people there and they're wailing loudly and they're crying loudly, which is very different culturally than us. When you hear somebody cry, what's the first thing that we say in our country? Don't cry, right? It's the first thing we say. We're very uncomfortable with public displays of emotion. We don't like it. In, in that day, the more people that were crying and the louder they were crying, the better. That's how they wanted it to be. In fact, if you were family and you had a loved one dying, you didn't have enough people there crying and the, and the wailing wasn't loud enough. They hired people to come in and cry for you. Would you imagine being a professional crier? Huh? I'm serious, they really did. Because they wanted the whole neighborhood to know that somebody had lost, uh, we, uh, had died and we suffered a loss. And Jesus says, why are you, why are you carrying on? Why, why are you crying? She's only sleeping and they laughed at him. And look what happens next. And he put them all out. He took the child's father, Jairus, and mother, and the disciples who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was. Now, remember, we did a series on Mark this summer. And we said, it's not really Mark's eyewitness account, it's Peter's. Mark gets his information from Simon Peter. And here's a little detail that only an eyewitness could give us. It says, Jesus took her by the hand. See a tender moment? And said to her, Talitha kum. Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, Something beautiful about that, I've shared this before, but Talitha was a term of endearment that parents use with their children, just like you do. Um, in, in our family, I call, the, I call my granddaughter sweetheart. It's like I call my daughter, you know. It may be darling in your family. I don't know, you probably have some kind of term of endearment for a little child. For my, for my grandsons, it's buddy. You know, hey bud, whatever, you know, in terms. I was called knucklehead when I was a kid, you know. <laughs> Very endearing. Um, we, we all have, you know, words, right? Talitha was one of those in that day. It was, a, it was a term of endearment. Kum was what parents would say to their children when it was time to get up in the morning. So you, I want you to capture the beauty of this moment. Jesus takes this little girl by the hand and says, hey, sweetheart, it's time to wake up. And her eyes open. And she sits up. And she begins walking around. And Jesus says, I'll get her something to eat. Concerned about the details. And it says they were completely astonished. Now, we know why the mom and dad are there, but why does Jesus take Peter, James, and John? Because they needed to learn some things that day. They, they needed to see some things. They needed to see through the eyes of faith. They needed to see as Jesus sees situations. First, they needed to see Jesus offer hope. I don't think there could be a, 
A more hopeless or despairing situation when a parent is told that your 12-year-old daughter has just died and what does Jesus do? He says, don't be afraid. We, as disciples of Jesus, need to be carriers of hope. We need to walk into hopeless situations and bring a good word from God. They needed to see that. They also needed to see Jesus scorned because when he told them to stop, when he told the professional criers to stop crying, they, they laughed at him, they mocked him. They needed to see Jesus scorned because later Jesus will be scorned and rejected by the multitudes and they would be too. As disciples, we need to learn that not everybody is going to appreciate you walking with Jesus and some will scorn. And they needed to see Jesus move in power and raise this girl and be astonished. Um, You can't learn that in a book, friends. You only get that by being with Jesus, with others. And that's what happened in it. So he takes Peter, James, and John. Now, go go forward a a couple more chapters to to chapter nine. And um, it says here, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. We don't know where that is. We think it might be Mount Hermon. It's the highest peak in, uh, in Israel. And it says there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus, truly a, a remarkable event. You talk about mountaintop experiences, this is a real mountaintop experience like none other. And there they see Jesus clothed. Now he doesn't take the 12. He only takes Peter, James, and John. Why? Because they needed to see Jesus bathed in glory. They needed to see that, yes, this is a man fully human, but this is God walking in their midst. He's also fully divine and he has always been. And they got a glimpse of who he was before that night in Bethlehem when he was born. And they need to see who he will be after the resurrection. They need that moment if they're going to grow as disciples and lead the church. You can't do that alone, friends. You gotta be with Jesus when mountaintops happen like that. Now, go further into Mark's gospel. Getting a, just an overview of this. And um, we come to Jesus last night with his disciples. It says, they went, to a place called Golg- they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said, stay here and keep watch. So you get the picture. Jesus has had the last supper with his disciples. Again, they don't get it and understand that's the last supper. And um, he heads towards a favorite spot of his, a favorite spot for prayer. This beautiful garden, it's still there today, by the way. Garden of Gethsemane is still there with olive trees thousands of years old. This beautiful patch and there Jesus would go and pray, but this night it was not gonna be serene and peaceful. It was going to be a wrestling match. It was going to be a a time of distress and agony and agonizing prayer. 
And notice what he does. The disciples are with him. Now, Judas has already left to betray him. So it's 11. He says to eight, stay here, sit here. And he goes deeper into the garden and he has Peter, James, and John go with him. Why? Why does he take Peter, James, and John? Because they needed to see this moment. They needed to see the agony. How do we know that Jesus prayed this prayer? Father, take this cup from me. Because they were there and they heard it. They were just within earshot as Jesus is wrestling with God and praying with such intensity that drops of sweat mingled with blood fall from his forehead and they are there. There's a couple things going on. First, Jesus wants them there. Dare I say, Jesus needs them there. He did not want to go through this moment alone. And the three people he was closest to in the world, Peter, James, and John, he wanted them there. But they also needed to be there. They needed to witness this. They needed to see him because they were soul friends. John Ortberg describes or defines a soul friend as a fully disclosing friend with whom there are no secrets. Jesus held nothing back. He did not hide from them his agony. He did not hide from them his distress. He did not hide from them his sorrow. Isaiah prophesied of the Messiah, he would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. They needed to see that where we like to hide our sorrow, we like to downplay it, we like to repress it. Jesus was not going to do that. They would see that emotion, they would see that pain. And they would love him more. But they needed this too. So he's wrestling with God in prayer. It says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. A couple of things they needed to be there for. Why Peter and James and John are there? They needed to keep watch. Now, for, for a long time, I, I, I kind of thought that meant like be on guard, be looking because Judas is gonna be leading the mob there soon and they're gonna come with their clubs and their, their torches to arrest Jesus and he wanted them to be on the lookout. No, that's not it. In fact, Jesus, after he finishes his time of prayer and he surrenders to the will of God, he goes out to meet the mob He doesn't hide. They they don't find him hiding. He goes to them with great courage and determination. That's not what it's about. Keeping watch was an old Jewish phrase. Goes all the way back to the Exodus when on the night that God dried up the Red Sea, it says the Lord watched and kept watch. To keep watch is to be looking for the activity of God in saving his people. That night in Exodus, he was saving his people by drying up the Red Sea so they could cross. And on this night, he is sending the Lamb of God to die for the sins of the world. And he's saying, I want you to be aware. I want you to be aware and alert of what God is doing in this moment to save his people, keep watch. But they were... They were so tired, it was late, they had a good meal, were sleepy, and they fell asleep 
One of the other gospels says this happens a couple times. Um, you know what I find the hardest thing? I, I say the hardest thing, being a pastor, one of the hardest things is keeping people awake. And I'm not talking about just during my sermon. <laughs> it's keeping people awake spiritually. One of the hardest things I find as a disciple is keeping awake. It's so easy, friends, to get complacent. It's so easy to get lackadaisical. It's so easy to get caught up in the things of this world that we forget the things of God. We're not looking for God to work. And several years ago, we started asking this question regularly around here, and that is, um, how's God working in your life these days? What has God done? Have you seen God? How have you seen God work in your life? That's funny. First time you ask someone that question, they look at you like deer in the headlights. I don't know. Because we haven't been trained to look for that. But we need to be trained to keep watch. We need to be trained to to be watching and saying, how is God working in my life? Okay, you just went through that really difficult time. What was God saying to you through that? What do you think the message of God was in that heartache? Or hey, you just got this promotion at work. That's awesome. What do you think God is doing in this? Where is God involved with this? Or in any situation, We need to keep watch. And you know what? You can't do this alone. You need somebody to ask you, hey, where's God in your life right now? What's he telling you? What's he teaching you? What are those circumstances teaching you? So he says, keep watch. He says, pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, James, and John needed to keep watch, but they also needed to see that God, our God, is able to deliver us from temptation. A couple years before this, the disciples had seen Jesus pray yet again, and they were so impressed with his prayer life, they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And you know, he responds by giving them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, one of the statements is, uh, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And and, uh, you know, in the Catholic Church, that's where it ends, you know? That's where that prayer ends. I always tell when I'm at a, a, a Catholic, I was at a Catholic funeral recently. You always tell Protestants in the crowd because they keep praying when the Catholics stop, you know? Um, but, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> she got it later, see? That's good. It's good. Um, and he says, deliver us, for, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, we're tempted all the time. We're tempted to forget who we are in Christ. We're tempted to forget whose we are, that we belong to him. Um, We're tempted to forget that the Christian life is picking up your cross and dying to yourself. And we're tempted to forget that our God is able to deliver us from evil and temptation. And there's evil. And there was darkness and evil that night and he's praying, keep watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You can't do this on your own. You need somebody pushing you, nudging you when you're falling asleep and saying, keep awake. Um, and that's what that inner circle was about, keeping each other awake. Uh, the earlier method is called watching over one another in love. I've shared on a couple of occasions, you know, the past couple years, I, um, I had some of my most, moment, my most despairing moments during the darkest days of the pandemic. 
And there were times I was losing hope. I have two bands, one here made up of guys in this church and one online pastors around the world. And when I would meet with them and I would come with despair or discouragement, I'd leave uplifted. You know, you know remember at the end of the story of the, uh, the transfiguration, they see Jesus in his brilliance, the cloud comes, descends on the mountain, the voice, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And then it says, all of that disappears and they saw nothing but Jesus. You know you've been with spiritual friends. When after you've met with them, you see Jesus. And my bands allowed me to see Jesus when I couldn't myself. I needed somebody else to help me see him. I hope you have someone like that. When it's your hour of testing, when you are facing your hour of, of heartache, I hope you have someone with you. I hope you have a Peter, James, and John. I'm meant to do this alone. And so um, this, is the, this is the smallest, this is the smallest little unit of the body of Christ. These inner circles, these bands. Jesus had it. And he modeled for us it. We, we need this too. And um, we've been doing this now for, for, for several years. But we've also been saying, how can we grow people as disciples? And I, I, and, you know, I said that our concerns and questions and you know, puzzling over this started about a dozen years ago or so. And um, I can say right now, I'm so pleased that for the first time, really, uh, the past couple years, we have like this clear path for people to walk on. And there's several, you know, courses we used that are like catalytic that help us grow, that propel us into a new uh, stage. It's not just taking the classes, but these things are there to help. And how are we doing with this? I, I, I got to say, the most encouraging thing I see right now at LaCroix Church is the hunger I see for more. The hunger I see for a, a deeper uh, experience of, of the spirit of God and a deeper walk with Jesus and discipleship tra that transforms us, not just informs our head, but transforms our lives. Begins with coming to know Jesus and now for about um, five years, I guess, we've had Alpha. And Alpha is just a, a, a powerhouse course of the Holy Spirit. Started over in London, over 30 million people worldwide have gone through this. And now we're, we're seeing people come to this who have questions, who don't know Jesus or asking the, the, the important questions of life and they're like Jairus' daughter, they're being raised from the dead to new life and it is the most beautiful thing to behold. You say, only God can do that. And some of those will get baptized later today at the lake. And I praise God for that. And then we started this course called Rooted. Um, which can be for a new Christian. It can be for a Christian who feels stuck. It can be really for anybody. We teach seven different practices that Jesus uh, did and how to, how to live in those practices. And um, just like Alpha filled up, we had to move to a bigger room because there were so many people hungry for this. Rooted has filled up both times that we've offered it and people are hungry for more and leaning in. Each of them, I think they're third or fourth week and it's just amazing to see these get waiting lists then we, we have the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, which really helps us look within and see what, what is God doing and how can God change us. And just like on the mountain, 
The disciples, Peter, James, and John, saw Jesus in a new light. When you go through like one of these EHR, EHS classes, you see yourself and you see Jesus in a new light. And that also just a waiting list and, and just filled. And I'm so glad to see that. And then we have bands, which is kind of this ongoing thing for the rest of our lives where we have people around us who watch over us and love and who keep us awake spiritually and ask us about our soul and ask us about discipleship so that we can be strong. Because disciples need to be with Jesus together. Together. Jesus said in uh, Matthew, he said, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Do you hear that? Jesus promises to be with us in that very smallest unit. He promised to meet us there. And I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've said, yes, I met Jesus today when I was with my band of brothers. So do you have a Peter, James, and John? Maybe for you, it's a Martha, Jessica, and a Jennifer. It's men with men, women with women who are helping you see Jesus in a new way, who are helping you stay awake spiritually. Let me tell you, if we in the church get serious about this and where we've seen it happen in in history, the body of Christ becomes a force to be reckoned with because it's strong at the very smallest levels. Interesting, book of Acts, which is the story, it's called Acts of the Apostles, stories of of, of the early church. It's the first several decades of the early church. Um, now, the second half of it tells the story of this, uh, this uh, Saul of Tarsus who was a persecutor of the church who gets converted and he becomes Paul the Apostle, all right? But the first half is, is um, the Acts of, of the Apostles. And do you know that only three disciples are mentioned by name and stories told about these three disciples in the book of Acts, except Philip who, gets a, who has a cameo appearance in the desert. He leads an Ethiopian to Jesus. Only three. Guess who they are? Peter, James, and John. In one city, they saw them coming. They said, behold, men who've turned the world upside down. And when their opponents saw them, the synagogue rulers brought Peter, James, and John in for questioning. And it says they noted that they were with Jesus. You know, the best thing that could be said of you of a disciple of Jesus is that, oh, He's with Jesus. They were a force, a force to be reckoned with. They turned the world upside down by the power of God. And today, if the church of Jesus would capture that again and meet with Jesus together, we'll see the same thing happen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have shown us the way. Thank you, Jesus, that when you gathered the 12, you had your small group, but then you gathered this even smaller group, this inner circle. Thank you that you modeled for us what it means to be strengthened by our band of brothers or sisters. So thank you that you promised to meet us there and that um, we can go through the mountaintop experiences and the deepest valleys and not go through that alone. We have someone to celebrate and share it with and then someone to weep with. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you meet us there. For we pray in your name, in Jesus' name.
Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you.